0: Hello everybody and welcome back to the CX cast. I'm your host Angelina Jenis, and we're joined again by David Troge, VP and Principal Analyst at Forrester on the CX research team. Hey David.
1: Hi Angelina, how are you doing?
0: Great, thanks for coming back. Happy to. So, for the folks who have been following along, David joined us on episode 269, Designing Chatbots with the User in Mind. And he promised us he would come back for a part two because there was just so much to cover and we only scratched the surface. So, David, what are we going to dive into today?
1: Well, last time we did kind of an overview of lots of different aspects of chatbot design, sort of some of the problems, why so many of them are so disappointing. And one of the really key things in designing a chatbot is deciding what's it going to do. Because fundamentally, you want it to be useful to users, actually do something that they care about. So you need to decide what's that going to be. I have uh, written a report about that that has just come out. I thought it would be useful to focus on that today.
0: It almost seems daunting, though. Wouldn't we want our chatbots to do everything possible? How do we even articulate what a chatbot does and what we want it to do?
1: Well, yeah, it would be ideal if it did everything. Unfortunately, uh, they can't do that today, right? Even, even human employees who are intelligent and highly competent, who you hired to do customer service, can't do everything and chatbots can do much less typically. And that's one of the really uh, success drivers for chatbots is making sure that you scope them properly. I mentioned this in the last episode, the importance of identifying what the chatbot will do is essential to whether it can succeed and making sure that it doesn't do too much. You know, I mentioned the expression island genius, and that's what it should be in the sense of having, being really, really expert at a small number of things, because if you have too broad a set of things, too broad of a scope, it's just a recipe for failure. Um, The conversational AI is not up to doing that, Uh, not yet anyway.
0: Great. So the first step in all of this is to make sure we have the right language i understand that there's essential chatbot language in your report that you describe can you can you give us a few of those terms so that we can uh, continue with this interview in yeah. an intellectual way
1: <laughs> yeah well i mean i guess it's kind of a jargon or lingo or whatever you want to call it but it is used in the field and so it's useful to understand these terms first two i want to mention is just that you know there's the 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 chatter the talk that goes back and forth between the human and the chatbot the things the human says and the things the chatbot says, the words, right? And those have specific names. What the humans say in one of those interactions, those are called utterances, a term borrowed from linguistics. And the things that a chatbot says are called prompts, typically. And that is kind of borrowed from uh, well, probably operating system design a long time ago, but but it's just useful to know those utterances, prompts, utterances, prompts, and there's usually a back and forth of you know an utterance and then a response and a prompt, et cetera, et cetera. Now. The reason I mention those two, even though that's not what we're going to be talking about today, is that it's not, they're not the same thing as an intent. An intent is the word that's used to refer to the thing a chatbot will do that is in the mind of the user that the user wants the chatbot to do. But that's the problem, right? How do you get like from the user's mind, where they are imagining something they want to do, to something the chatbot can actually perform? Either it might be a request for information where the chatbot just needs to provide the information, or it might be a transactional request that needs to actually do something involving a database or shipping a product or whatever it might be. So, if you think about it, there's like an intent in the human's mind that needs to get translated into an utterance. Like, let's say you, Angelina, are interacting with the chatbot. There's something in your mind. You need to translate that into words. Those words come out. You either type them or you speak them. That's your utterance then the chatbot needs to figure out like, ooh, you know, what does Angelina mean? And to do that, it needs to match what you said to one of the intents it knows how to handle, right? But you might say the thing in many different ways. So an example of an intent would be, tell me my checking account balance, right? So you might type that to the chatbot. On the other hand, you might say checking balance or how much in checking or what's my balance in my checking account? There are lots of different ways you could say that. Uh, And other people might say it differently. And of course, different languages and cultural differences, uh, slang in some cases, age differences, spelling mistakes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so the chatbot needs to be able to map these possibly hundreds of different ways of saying the same thing to a single intent. And then of course, there are many other intents it needs to be able to handle. So doing that mapping is a a huge computational effort, if you will, where sometimes AI can be relevant but the thing you need to focus on first is what is that list of intents going to be? What is your chatbot gonna do for users? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. How do you create that list? Is it like a design thinking process where we go really broad and we look at our data and we try to understand what our biggest user needs are?
1: That's part of it. It can be part of it. It isn't necessarily part of it. It should be part of it. Ideally, a lot of companies don't start there and that's okay. But let me kind of walk you through the process based on my research and the interviews i've done in looking at this essentially it breaks down into four phases first doing the research uh, about user needs which includes some of what you've just said so first research then triage of the needs you've discovered then prioritization of what's left over after you've done the triage and then once you've prioritized and decided what the intents are going to be It's not done because that set of intents is going to evolve over time, so you need to adapt. So four phases, research, triage, prioritization, and adapting. So should we talk about the research part?
0: Yeah, that's the one I'm always most curious about.
1: Okay, all right. So basically, there are typically three categories of sources that you need to research for deciding on intents. So the three types or the three categories are assumed intents, historical intents, and adjacent intents and what those mean are historical intents or let me start with assumed intents rather assumed intents are think about the faq that you have on your website well that's frequently asked questions right so and there are answers below them well that sounds a lot like a chatbot questions and answers now you don't want to stop there because it's actually not very realistic the questions are um, you know, something, you know, an employee may have assumed that, uh, users ask them this way. And then you came up with some answers that are probably too long-winded to really be something a chatbot would say, but they at least give you a hint and can be used as kind of a seed for thinking about, um, the intents. Um, as long as you use them only as a starting point, uh, historical intents means finding out like, well, what have users actually been asking now you haven't had a chatbot yet. So it's kind of a chicken and the egg problem, right? So how do you find out what they've been asking? Well. You look at other venues, other channels, other ways they've been asking things. So you might look at live chat that they've been having human customer service agents and looking at logs of those, or you might get transcripts of voice conversations they've been having with customer service agents and look over those. That would be the kind of research you would do to uncover historical intents that would result in a long, long list, which you would then need to cluster, right? Because as we were just saying a minute ago. People ask things in lots of different ways. Now, taking a bunch of different things and clustering them, what user uh, research technique does that sound like? It sounds a lot like card sorting, right? Yeah. And this is another reason why it's important and valuable to have uh, designers involved is because card sorting is something they know by heart. They do it all the time. Now, the thing is, normally for card sorting, you would involve users in doing that because you're trying to decide on what the navigation st- structure should be on a website or an app. So, you know, you might have a, two, a few dozen items that they need to organize into a hierarchy. It's gonna be the menu structure, right? But when you have thousands of potential utterances, it's not fair to ask users to look at that. So you really need designers to do the work and a design team or a team of employees that includes a designers, design researchers, and people who are going to be at least supervised and led by them to do that, that clustering work. So that's assumed intents and historical intents. That third category I mentioned is adjacent intense. And this is actually an area that's widely neglected in my observation. Not, not that many companies do this because often the reason they decided to do a chatbot in the first place is to unburden their human customer service agents. So they're doing what I just described. They're looking at you know, transcripts of conversations and looking at logs of live chat. But really you have to ask yourself, what are the things that our chatbot could do for our customers that maybe they're not asking because they don't know that we could help with this thing. And that's what I'm calling adjacent intents. Intents that maybe nobody is asking about because they don't know you can help with. But if you do classic user research to dis, you know, discovery research, you'd be able to uncover those needs and therefore identify intents that your chatbot can help with.
0: So how would the adjacent intents come up? Would it be because eventually you think users will be asking these questions? Or is it that prompt I get sometimes when I ask a question and the chatbot says, did you mean? And I go, oh yeah, that's what I was looking for.
1: It could be that, or it could be the chatbot saying either right at the beginning or later on in the conversation, it could say, hi Angelina, I can help you with things like X, Y, and Z. And X and Y might've been things that you just assumed that it was going to help you with. But Z you're like, oh, really? Oh, that's great. I didn't realize I could get help from a chatbot with that thing. And that's where, again, those going back to the notion of prompt I was talking about earlier, the prompt needs to be specific about what the chatbot can do. It's a mistake for the chatbot to say, how can I help you? That's way too broad. A human customer service agent might be able to handle that, but a chatbot is just setting itself up for failure because the user is going to be disappointed.
0: Got it. And that already brings triage to mind because we are trying to limit the scope so that we have a positive experience with this chatbot and i remember working in the the emergency department of a hospital and triage was crucial so what does triage mean in chatbots
1: yeah exactly so triage means at first deciding just what you're going to do now versus what you might do later or even never so there are some things that are just not appropriate for a bot it's not like oh the bot can't handle it or something like that it's just not appropriate and a number of my interviewees commented on this. For example, the director of product development and innovation at Alight Solutions, Ibrahim Kuri, mentioned that what they do, they're a $2.4 billion global HR and business process outsourcing provider. And you know, when they are serving an employee who's interacting with the chatbot who says, you know, something about a death in the family as part of a discussion of benefits. Well, they immediately transfer that to a human. They just don't want their bot dealing with it. There's too much potential for things going wrong. You absolutely don't want that to happen. Or in some cases, one of my other interviewees, CEO of SolveMate, Eric von Müller he mentioned that in some cases, you may have some classification of your users of your customers that might cause you to say, you know, for some of them, where the uh, lifetime customer value is particularly high, we want to just immediately transfer to them a human, to a human who we believe can offer better service for their needs. Not always, sometimes a chatbot is actually better, but in some cases the human is better. And so you would prioritize transferring them. So that's one aspect of triage. Another aspect does have to do with just what bots are good at choosing to either postpone or just say never to things that are just way too complex for a chatbot to handle. So that would be that first phase of doing that triage. But of course, even with triage, you're going to have a lot You're going to have a big pile left over that you're going to need to do the next thing with prioritize, you know, really rank those intents based on some criteria that'll help you decide what to, what to focus on first.
0: It sounds like triage is your opportunity to double check your research and make sure that you are building something that's going to actually help the customer in the right way. And also maybe realize what you can help the employee, the frontline employee to remove repetitive conversations, but also get the right customers to the right employees. I know in some banks, they have training around uh, dealing with grieving customers. And so certain customer service reps are ready to handle those conversations.
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly. That is an important criterion in the prioritization effort. In fact, the first one I list in the report is how frequent is the intent? So if it's something that comes up really often it makes a lot of sense to prioritize that when you're when you're looking at what your chatbot should be able to handle and a number of my interviewees pointed that out where they they just decided you know they you know, one, one of them mentioned uh, at, at a dutch insurance company you know 50 50 topics drive 50 percent of my traffic he said and so you know those are the ones you really want to be focusing on another one is how easy is the intent to implement if there's no variation in the answers well that's what you want to go for or, you know, I was speaking with Shirley Gao, the CIO of Paxson, who, uh, you know, her advice was start with something like, what's your return policy? Well, that's super simple, right? Because that just means that's just some static text that you need to present. Where's my order? Well, that's a little more complicated, but not terrible. Whereas maybe, you know, can you help me create a return? That's gonna require a multi-step process that's more complicated. So that would give you some sense of prioritization. You know, how easy is the intent to implement?
0: I like any process that ensures that the team is not going to completely lose their minds trying to build a chatbot. Yeah,
1: bot. exactly, exactly. Uh, because <laughs> you you can it can get very complicated. In fact, it was interesting. Some of my interviewees really insisted that you should not start with using AI in your chatbot, and this was coming from some of the tech companies that are the biggest providers of AI, including Google, saying, "Yeah, yeah, AI, machine learning is really important in your chatbot, but don't start there." Start with a, just a deterministic tree and then you know upgrade to using machine learning later on. Otherwise, most companies are just for, uh, not set up in terms of you know skills and resources to be able to handle it right away.
0: Okay, so frequency and ease, are those the two or is there more to prioritization?
1: So there are two other criteria you need to use for prioritizing those intents. In addition to those two other questions we just talked about, how frequent is the intent and how easy is it to implement? the third one is how closely could a bot match a human employee's ability to address the intent so for example you know one of my interviewees at calgary public library said one of the common questions they get and therefore that they prioritized was what are your hours of operation well that's something that it does require one turn in the conversation because the chatbot does need to say well which branch do you mean because it's the second largest public library system in canada it's huge they have dozens of branches. And once you tell the chatbot which branch you mean, all it needs to do is look at the calendar to know what day it is, and then look up in its database what the hours of operation are and respond. That's a pretty easy operation. But some of them are a lot more complex. As I was saying earlier, if, uh, checking a bank account balance is one thing. Uh, performing a transfer is a little harder going through an entire loan application would be much harder. So there are some things that you know that a human is going to be able to do that a chatbot is just not going to be able to do as well. And those you want to bump down the list. And the final one, this one involves one other term I have to introduce that I didn't mention at the beginning is how simple is the ontology that the intent depends on. And let me just explain briefly what I mean by that. Let's say you're a clothing retailer and you sell uh, t-shirts. Should you have three different intents for, I would like a red T-shirt, I would like a blue T-shirt, I would like a green T-shirt, well, that seems a little wasteful, right? So here there's this idea of having a slot or a variable or a parameter in an intent. In other words, the intent would be, I would like a blank T-shirt and fill in the blank, which is the slot and the parameter, the variable with the color. And developing your ontology means figuring out what are going to be those those things that you that, that exist in the chatbot's universe that it can handle, and the attributes of those things, like in this case, the color. If it's a relatively complex ontology, it's going to be something that you want to postpone and not deal with right up front and focus instead on the simpler ones. So those are basically the four real criteria for prioritizing those intents. Does that make sense?
0: It does. And... It sounds like, again, starting simple will make you more likely to get to the finish line, have a minimal viable product. Is it safe to use that term with this?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. but that's you use the key word, you know minimum viable, which means you really want to go beyond that because very quickly it's going to evolve. I mean, a number of my interviewees pointed out, you know, starting with maybe a few you know, dozen intents, but very quickly adding more ending up with hundreds and then adding, you know, 20 more in a quarter, it can grow very quickly. Now you don't want to go too crazy, because if you get too many going on with a single chatbot, at least the way the technology is now, it can get a little bit like there's not enough differentiation between them. And then your chatbots performance goes down. So you don't want to be too aggressive there, at least as long as the technology doesn't allow it. But it's important to think beyond that initial launch. And that's why that fourth step I mentioned of adapting is important, and doing that cyclically, and really evolving the chatbot. And you know, one of my interviewees described the chatbot as kind of a creature that you need to nurture, right? Once it's born, you need to keep it keep it going. You need to teach it. You need to help it learn as language changes and as people's needs change, and even new terms enter the language as, as humans uh, use them. And so you need to really adapt to what it's going to do over time. And of course your products are going to evolve and therefore the intents need to evolve along with them.
0: So creating a chat bot is not just a project. It's actually, you're launching a program.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's never ending. And in some ways you could describe it as, I was going to say high maintenance. That sounds like a criticism, but it's high maintenance in the same sense that just, you know, human society and human needs evolve and product lines evolve. And so your chatbot is going to have to evolve along with them.
0: It seems like an age-old CX principle, only add to the experience if you can ensure that it is going to be a positive addition to the experience. Similarly, take care of your chatbots and nurture them.
1: Yes, exactly. And part of that nurturing really is, you know, the great thing once you have it out there in the wild is that you're going to get real humans interacting with it. So then, you don't have that chicken and the egg problem I talked about earlier on, right? You don't need to be just looking at sort of substitutes, proxies like you know live chat transcripts, you know transcripts of customer service interactions with you know actual humans. Instead, you can look at what people are actually asking the chatbot, and look at what are the things that the chatbot didn't know how to handle. And you know it's very common for companies to have uh, a team that once a week or once every two weeks looks at what uh, one of my interviews called it the IDK bucket, you know, all the utterances that just stumped the chatbot and the humans look it over and typically are like, Oh yeah, we know what that means. We know what that means. Okay. We need to train our chatbot. So that's the, that ongoing training of the chatbot. It's a little bit like walking around with the toddler who once in a while says, what does that mean? Or I don't know. Right. And you need to help. And, and you're kind of the, the parent and you need to keep educating. it.
0: So David, are there more reports on chatbots coming?
1: There are. Yes. Yeah. So in addition to the ones that have come out so far, which are the foundation report, uh, actions report on what you do, and the one on designing your chatbot personality, there are going to be more reports about designing the dialogue. You know, what's the flow, the back and forth, and how do you make sure that that feels like a real conversation? How should your chatbot be collaborating with humans? Because, uh, and by, I mean, employees, right? So customer service agents may get a handoff from a chatbot, and they may hand off, the interaction back to a chatbot at some point. Or in some cases, companies are using the chatbot as a tool for the customer service agent. The end customer doesn't actually see the chatbot. That can be very helpful as well. And then also talking about where the chatbots fit, because you know we're used to seeing them, for example, on websites, but they also can exist, of course, in apps, but also in Facebook Messenger or Apple Business Chat and many other venues and devices that are increasingly you know, voice enabled, whether they're um, you know, IoT devices in the home or in the enterprise, in manufacturing context, etc. So there are, there are all sorts of considerations around, like, where does the interaction actually occur? So I'll be continuing with uh, research and reports about all of those things. It's exciting stuff.
0: Definitely. I think. And we look forward <laughs> to the updates in the future.
1: I'm excited about doing them.
0: David, thanks so much for joining, as always.
1: Thanks for having me. It's been great.
0: And thanks, everyone else, for listening in to the CXcast. The CXCast is a part of Forrester Research, and it is produced by Amelia Nichols. Bye-bye. Bye for now.